Hello and welcome to JBL Radio. I am your co-host, Michael Miller, otherwise known as RKG, General Manager of the Pittsburgh Vipers. And with me is Andrew Taylor, otherwise known as Bedouin, General Manager of the Baltimore Bullets. Good evening, Andrew. Good morning, Mike. It is a pleasure to be here as long as you have put Marcus Price on your all-star ballot. Uh, well, my all-star ballot right now is blank, but uh, I, I appreciate the, uh, the gesture, you know. And uh, I will do the same if you put Tristan Lane on your ballot. So, well, I, I, I'm going to actually reveal my ballot later. I thought you had done yours, but uh, I will reveal mine, and you can feel uh, vindicated potentially. No, I was uh, I was sleeping and uh, dreaming of Tiger King dreams. I'm glad we could pull you away from that long enough to uh, show up on the podcast. <laughs> Okay, so what's the focus this evening going to be, Mike? All right, so we are coming up to day 120, which is the trade deadline. So I thought it would be interesting to go through each team, uh, discuss whether they are a buy, sell, or hold um, based on their cap room, what their needs are, if they have any players to move, uh, if just to kind of spur some action towards the trade deadline. Uh, and then from there, you're going to reveal your all-star ballot. And I'm going to nod and agree or disagree uh, based on my snap observations because I haven't really had a chance to look at it yet, but will later today. So with that, we will go in alphabetical order because it seems like the easiest way to do this. So the Atlanta Devils. Now, this is um, – I, I when I put together the spreadsheet, I was one sim or basically two sims behind because it was a double sim last night. So these are the records as of day 104. Um, but as of day 104, the Atlanta Devils had a 12-38 and 38 record. I actually put that they should be a buy. Um, their cap room currently is $22.1 million. I think they need veterans. If they had any player on their roster that I think they would consider moving, uh, it is Courtney Parsons, who is going to be an expiring deal, and they have a lot of money tied up in their front court. Generally, Parsons has played well, and they also shot to a long-term contract. I think this is a team that, even though they are bad, they're ripe to add veterans, and because it's so late in the season, they're not going to add enough veterans or, or a veteran or two that's really going to impact the record enough that would knock them out of high lottery contention. What are your thoughts on what the Atlanta Devils should do at the deadline? Look, I think they are a buy team, um, although given the free agency class that's coming, I'm not sure you want to go really deep into that $22 million. The reality is, I think if we look at this team, we can say that point guard and shooting guard and power forward are full moving forward. So if a trade eventuated that allowed them to get a, a, a small forward or a center uh, that could grow with this team moving forward, then uh, I think that would be an intelligent move to take. I mean, I, I kind of view it as by a trade or free agency, they're going to have to fill one of those needs and the other one is most likely going to be filled by the draft. So, uh, there's no reason for them not to be out shopping. Right. And I do think, uh, keep in mind, so they don't, the Devils do not just have their own pick, but they have two other picks in the upcoming draft. I think if I remember correctly, they have the Vipers and the Renegades pick. So they have two non-lottery picks. They do have some extra picks to shop because this Atlanta team already has more than enough youth. youth. So it would be a mistake to really hold on to those picks if they could deal one or two. And they also have all their future picks too. So they do have some assets. 
So prior to uh, this podcast, between our last two podcasts, the Devils did make a move uh, in they participated in the Lightning blow-up. Uh, the Lightning traded Hassan Boondu, Marcus Collins, Brandon Kellogg, and Mitchell Van Bree, along with the 2029 Predators' first-round pick, to the Devils for Trayvon Miller and Nikos Kutslakis. What do you think about that deal? Um, look, um, when did Miller's deal end? It's an expiring contract, so it ends the season. Yeah, look, I, I don't necessarily love taking that Bundu deal in the place of Miller uh, because I think the issue for me would be that Miller is Miller is an Miller is an expiring contract that you are going to escape. The Bundu one will last longer, and I think that Bundu and Covington are both power forwards. So I wonder how much value you'll be able to extract out of Bundu's already slight overpaid contract. I use the word slight very lightly. Um, that's one problem. And, and I think the other part, but that, I mean, they got a second, they got an extra first round pick out of it. So it wasn't like they didn't have a, a play, you know, didn't get benefit out of it. Um, but I'd be wary of that contract. Apart from that, the contract doesn't, doesn't really uh, disappoint me. Um, I know that some people like Nikos around the league. I'm not that high on him, to be honest. Um, what I would really love to see this team is, more than anyone else, this team needs to go and get a true 3 and D wing guy for the small forward spot. Um, the one player I reckon more than anyone else in the league this team should target right now is Brandon Kelly. Yeah, uh, and we we could get to him when we get to Boston. But to focus on this deal first, I generally agree with you. I'm a little bit higher on Nikos. I think he's a bit of a younger player when he came into the league and kind of got bounced around a little bit with the Devils, and I'm not sure he was the right fit with the system. I think that he still looks good defensively and has great measurables. The issue is the shot and him being able to consistently shoot from three. Um, but if that were able to come along, he could be a pretty useful player. The first-round pick that the Devils got in return was the 2029 Predators' first-round pick, which is one that's certainly going to be non-lottery, and the way that the West is shaking out, especially with the Lightning blowing it up, it's very likely that that Predators' pick could be in the, like let's say, 23 to 26 range. So we're talking real bottom of the first round, not even a just outside the lottery first. So I think it, I, I think it'll probably sorry I think it'll end up being closer to twenty because I think there'll be a fair few East teams that actually beat the Devils' record despite the Devils uh, despite the Predators potentially having home court. I yeah. don't think it'll be, I don't think it'll be that late. I think the fact that the East is so stacked at the top will actually help push that down that pick down towards twenty rather than down towards you know rather than the mid twenties. We'll see, because I, I do think that the records are going to be a little bit depressed in the Eastern Conference because they're just going to beat each other up. Like, I think the 18 is going to have 50 wins, the way it's looking in that conference. Um, but nevertheless, to uh, to finish up the Devils, I mean, I do think Nikos, at least perception-wise, had a little bit more value around the league. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, oh, you know, O'Gear put him on the block. I think he was on the block for literally like an hour to two hours before that deal was done. I'm not sure if he could have done a little bit better shopping around a bit, but uh, nevertheless, it's not the, the Bundu contract is a concern, uh, especially with the devil's front court a little bit loaded. Um, and I think that's probably the highlight of this deal. So to move on, let's go to the Austin Rockets who are, who are 20 and 28 as of day one Oh four. I have them as a sell. 
They're right now over the cap uh, by $19.7 million. So they're over the $95 million tash, uh, cash uh, the, uh, th- uh, tax threshold. I put that needs are primarily small forward and power forward. Uh, the player that they should think about moving is Jemiah Sprinkle, who is on the block. So they already made a move, and we talked about this in the last pod, so we don't really need to rehash it. They traded Zion Jeffries for Terrell Sanford. Uh, it's not really changed their fortunes as they've gone 9-13 and 13 since the deal. Uh, yep, uh, that doesn't really shock me. I think I said last uh, time when we discussed the deal is that they still need an extra creator because that is not what Sanford is. Uh, and this deal got them one of, the, uh, you know, a wing that they needed, but unfortunately it also probably weakened. Uh, and uh, yeah, look, this team is, you can afford to probably pay Sprinkle, Sanford, and uh, Evans what they're getting paid. The problem is you need to have filled everything up in the roster around, on the roster up around them before you do that, uh, which means you can actually have some depth. I just don't see an easy way forward for this team as it is currently constructed to get the extra support it needs at small forward and power forward, like you said. Right. I mean, the big issue is they don't have their picks. So, I mean, you would think, especially in a draft like this, that seems to be pretty deep at the wing position, they might be able to find that player to kind of complement those other three that they have. I do like um, that. I think it's a better use of resources to pay Sanford than Jeffries on this kind of team, but it doesn't really fix their overall issue that we had isolated with them with Jeffries is that they already are pretty limited on cap room. They're pretty limited on picks. So they don't really have many options to uh, really expand the talent around their roster unless they get lucky on min sales or low-value contracts. So I think yep. they're probably in a blow-it-up position, uh, I would think. And I would not be surprised if that's essentially what happens uh, at the trade deadline. So the next team is the Baltimore Bullets, who are 18-30 and 30 as of day 104. I have them as a hold. Um, they currently have 17.1 million in cap room, so I believe they are over the projected salary floor. If they had a need, I would think that they would need a defensive center behind uh, uh, Woodson. Uh, if they wanted to move a player, I think Iden Anderson, as we discussed on the last pod, is probably the most replaceable player. Um, they've already made their, as I've uh, wrote in the comments, they've already pirated some booty. Uh, and they do need to think about paying Marcus Price and Pape Diop, both who are up for extensions. I believe Marcus Price has received a max contract offer and is leading to it as of the date of this podcast. So not really much to do for Baltimore at this point, but kind of sit tight. Yeah, look, I think uh, my cap picture is a little bit better than that presents it to be because I have a lot of uh, team options coming on top of that. So I think I have another... From memory, I want to say I have 16, basically 31 million extra coming off in team options. Sure. And, and this is meant to but project. I, what I'm saying is that like uh, what I'm saying is I probably have close to 20 million even after maxing price and potentially deal. So right. I, mean- I can. But if I'm going to splash that cash around, I'm more likely to either if I if I took something now, uh, it would be taking a salary dump in exchange for a pick to rebuild my pick closet a little, uh, or it would be holding that money for free agency so I can be people's nightmare again. 
Right. And when I put this cap room uh, in this spreadsheet, uh, a lot of the teams are in red, which means they're, they are over the cap, but I didn't really look at expiring deals because I just wanted to look at where the cap room is right now at day 120 for yeah, these teams. That's what, it, that's, what impacts, that's what impacts the ability to move. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there are teams that are over that still have the flexibility and ability to make a move because they have expiring contracts or they're, and they're under the 95 million uh, tax threshold that they could take on a significant salary and give back a lesser salary on an expiring deal with a pick to increase something of value. Um, but I mean, obviously for a team like Baltimore, they are so under the cap that really if there's any good deals, if they wanted to add, um, they really just need to only attach a pick. and not even- As I have said to many people, I am here and ready if you wish to dump salaries. I will not try to gouge you, but I will expect payment. Feel free to hit me up. Next team would be the Boston Crusaders, Mike. Yes, the Boston Crusaders were a mediocre 50, uh, 24 and 24 at 500 as of day 102. I have them as a hold, actually. and they, I'm, You may disagree with me based on what you commented on about Brandon Kelly. But uh, they are currently $24.5 million over the cap. So that means they are over the $95 million uh, threshold. And they are uh, dangerously close, I think, to the $105 million ca- uh, threshold, which is where you lose your first-round pick. Uh, what do they need? I think they need a backup point guard. And the expendable player is James Weber, who is their uh, 14th overall draft pick just a season ago, who's basically been dropped out of the rotation. Um, so Hughes is really leveraging that extension. He's, uh, he's got the offer. He's kind of waiting it out, uh, to make, uh, Calvin sweat a little bit. If they do fall apart at the second part of the year, I'm wondering if this is a blow it up team for 2029. Um, I but think, go ahead, Andrew, what are your thoughts? I think you're being an idiot and being, uh, trying to inflame Calvin again, to be honest. Um, they've been exceptionally strong since Hughes got back. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that Hughes is staying. Uh, I would absolutely not be worried if I was Calvin, although I'm sure it would not help if everyone was telling me that I should be panicked. Um, I do think that backup point guard is a place they could definitely upgrade, although their ability to do so will be severely limited Um, because I just don't think there's many contracts that they'll be able to bring on board. You know, they really can't get it above a min sale in there at this point, pretty much. I mean, they could get Weber off the books because he's earning a little bit more than that, but he's still only earning, like, what, three and a half? Yeah, I think 3.1 so, or something. It's, it's, a real, it's a real tight line that they're, uh, they're walking on right now. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, it's... Uh, in regards to Kelly, um, I don't think they should trade Kelly, as I said on the last episode. However, that doesn't mean I don't think that Kelly would be a perfect fit on the Devils. Yeah. Well, and the, as far as my comments, I think my commentary is inflammatory, but my content is, is accurate. I do have the Crusaders as a hold. I don't have them as a sell. Um, I said if it falls apart towards the latter half of the year, they should be a blowout of candidate, but I didn't say that it would fall apart. Uh, you just I want to, yes, I, I appreciate it. it is carefully worded to suggest if rather than when. However, you're just trying to inflame Calvin. Yes, and, so, and Xavier West is not an all-star. Uh, but we can move on to the Charlotte Drones, who I have as a hold as well. They are presently $10.3 million over the cap, which means they are under the $95 million tax threshold. Their needs are young talent. If there's a player to move, I would have Isaiah Foreman, who they acquired last season. 
I put mainly mission accomplished. Uh, they dealt, they got off of the Kalen Anthony deal. Um, they, I think they're smart to keep RW two, at least for the time being, uh, they were able to acquire a, the, a significant asset, if not the best asset acquired by a rebuilding team in that hurricanes first round pick, which is likely to be uh, top five based on how they are playing. So I think at this point their uh, their record is sinking. They're competing right now with the bullets, I think, uh, to try to um, outworse them. And uh, Baltimore, you have no reason, Andrew, you have no reason to be good because or bad because your draft pick is forfeited anyway. Whether, so whether the, I whether right. I whether I choose to be good or bad from this point, and in terms of the in, in terms of how that impacts the deals I do has only to do with how I feel it will position me for future years. It has nothing to do how it will position me for the draft today. So exactly. It, exactly. Uh, it's pretty easy to operate in that space. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a very good chance the drones can sink down. I, don't, I think they've won. So they're 18, they were 18-31. The Devils were six games, quote-unquote, ahead of them in the Eastern Conference. And the Hurricanes, even more than that. I don't know if the drones can be bad enough to catch the Hurricanes. Maybe an outside shot they could catch the Devils, but uh, I think that they're in pretty good position to try to sink their record and try to at least get their own pick uh, safely within the top 10. Yep. No, absolutely. I think you're aiming for them. You're aiming for a, te- you know, you're aiming for a pick inside the top four and a pick as close to the top five as you can get it at this point. Like that's, that would be kind of where you're, where you're pitching it. Um, uh, they can't trade Dozier, but I think Dozier is not a bad piece to hold on to for a while. Cause I think he'll have value down the road. If you decide he doesn't really fit with who you draft. Um, and I think Foreman's an interesting piece because he has a team option for next year, but I wouldn't be surprised if that option doesn't get picked up and the team could potentially then go and try to get him back cheaper. Yeah, and I think um, Dozier can't be traded because he played uh, after he was acquired. So he's he can't be dealt for 56 days, which puts him beyond the trade deadline. But I agree. I, I think, as you could tell by how many teams Dozier's played on, there's enough value there, despite his significant contract, to get an asset back for him. So I don't think that's – it's not like a Boondu contract. I think that Dozier could likely bring back an asset instead of attach an asset. And I think if I were a team that needed a center, I would really reach out to the drones and um, try to get Foreman. I, I don't know what uh, DG is asking for. I think a reasonable first-round pick, a future first-round pick, is a reasonable price. Um, and Foreman's a good player, and I think his contract is reasonable. And like Andrew said, you get the team option, so it's not a long-term deal. So if you were a team that needed uh, wanted a shot in the arm at center, and there are one or two teams on here they think should significantly consider that. I think you could do a lot worse than Foreman. Fair. All right. So now we get to your favorite team and my favorite team, uh, the Chicago <laughs> Jailbirds, who are 23 and 29 as of day 102. Um, I am obviously clearly biased, but I did really try to put aside my feelings that they should um, – blow it up to benefit my own first round draft pick but even looking at it agnostically i do have them as a sell uh they are currently 11 million over the cap so they are projected to be under the 95 million dollar threshold i do think they should look for draft picks as far as their needs the player i think they should move is a player they are shopping in isaiah clarkson 
Um, I would recommend that they get as much as possible for Clark Carter and Clarkson, but keep Howard. Right now, the Jailbirds are eight and a half games out of the eighth, oh, the eighth spot with approximately 25 games to go. It's not impossible, but especially because they'd have to bunny hop the Crusaders who are currently out of the playoff mix, they'd really have to hope that uh, the Rens, the Renegades, um, really just the Renegades at this point, uh, blow it up uh, for whatever reason at the trade deadline to have a realistic shot, I think, at getting squeaking into the playoffs as a 7 yes, no chance. <laughs> you agree, though. There's their sell. I mean, put, putting in a, putting aside your your hatred for Cheney because you want no, him to no, off a cliff. I don't hate I don't hate Cheney. Putting aside my like ideological argument that this team should have blown it up like half a decade ago, putting that aside, um, this team is going nowhere fast. Um, you know, Austin is very clear that he is not going to, under any circumstance, trade Cheney. So you're better off tanking the team around Cheney. And uh, if you're lucky, maybe Cheney decides to retire a year early at 34 instead of 35 and you can get on with the future. Um, Howard is the only, Howard and Willis are the only pieces on this team that are of value for the future. Um, And I would even entertain offers for Willis depending on um, how good the offer was. I don't think Willis's market value would be any higher than it is at this point. Uh, as I said, I, I question how high his value would be just because of the nature of player he is. Because I think it's the type of player that a lot of people undervalue. Um, he's, very, but, he's very Benson-y. Yeah, I, I just think it's an easy type of player to be undervalued. Um, he is very valuable. His contract is very reasonable. Um, so, you know he's a player who I think has a lot more value than he might be able to get in return. But if you've got a great offer for Willis and you're the jailbird at this point, I'd say you take it. Yeah. Because that's, because that's the way in which you can get your first round pick. Oh, they don't have their pick next year either, do they? Nope. <laughs> they went all in. Yep. So okay, would you, uh, would, would, if if you were the Pittsburgh Vipers and you need a point guard, would you trade the Jailbirds back their 2029 first round pick for Cheney? <laughs> I'm I'm pretty confident he's not going to do that. Um, but I would uh, I would if I were you, I would happily trade that pick to get the right point guard for your system, given where your team is at in its build. I don't think that player is going to be Cheney though. Yeah, we're 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 working on that. We'll get to that. Um, so, uh, speaking of the poor man's Antoine Willis, let's talk about the home of Richmond Benson, uh, Cincinnati Kings, who I have as a hold. They are at a whopping $37.6 million over the cap, uh, threatening the luxury tax threshold. They are just underneath it. Uh, what do they need? They need an alarm clock to wake up their sleeping players after they have overslept due to the championship parade. Uh, if there is a player that should be on the move, it is Joseph Turner, just so that they can free Darth Vader. Yes. Um, but in all seriousness, the Kings are starting to wake up from their slumber. Clearly, there was some championship hangover. If I remember correctly, I'd have to really dig into this. I think something happened similar to the Seattle Thunder when they won their first cha- their first of those two championships. I, I can't. Maybe that's just my own my own memory playing tricks on me. But nevertheless. Um, the, the Kings, anyone who thinks the Kings are not, uh, potential contenders, if not favorites is, uh, wrong. Uh, the Kings are very good. 
Uh, I think they're going to firmly be in the home court spot. They're seven and a half games back with the number one overall seed. So I'm not quite sure that uh, they can be good enough to really topple the Mustangs. But look, as long as they get home court, uh, they are going to make a very deep run, if not uh, win another championship, especially with Haas going crazy. They don't need yep. to do anything. No, absolutely not. They are they are in nice position after a slow start, and the reality is that both Owens and Polk have not been amazing so far. So if they you know start to get back to where they have been in the past, I think that team has another gear that it hasn't even touched yet. And I, I do think if you were looking for some spots of concern, um, I mean, Detrez Owens has kind of, I guess, petered out a little bit. I mean, he played really bad at the beginning of the year, although I think – I haven't looked at him recently. I Memory serves that he started to play a little bit better. I think he's probably the one who the chip, championship hangover. Um, he, was very, he was very easy to eliminate from any thought about All-Stars. Let's put it that way. And, and Benson has struggled as well. Um, you know, but it's it's really been Hawes carrying this team and doing Hawes like things. Okay. Next up, Dallas Predators. Dallas Predators are a hold. They are presently fourteen point five million over the cap, um, and uh, I put that they really looking at their roster. I think their only real need at this point is backup center. They've been, uh, and if there was any player to move, it's Kendrick Hill. He's played better, but I'm not sure if he's a great fit in that Mori Ball system. But overall, I don't think the Predators should do anything because they've already done a lot. Uh, I think we talked about some of these moves during the um, the uh, last podcast uh, where they went out. They, of course, swapped out Sanford for Zion Jeffries. They also got Trendon Knox from the Kansas City Knights. And then they also acquired Cortez Ellison by trading their first-round pick this year. So they've been adding uh, three-point shooting wings with bad defense like crazy. Um, I do want to point out that in, in converse to the Austin Rockets, uh, the Predators have gone 14-9 and nine since the Jeffries trade. Uh, again, this was back at day 102 so, or 104, so it doesn't show what they did in the last double sim. But um, ultimately, the Jeffries move has somewhat worked, and I think the roster is in pretty good shape. Yep, I would agree with all that. I think that the... I, I really like the acquisition of Jeffries. Um, I think that rounds out the team nicely. Uh, I think it's disappointing that they got Ellison after they'd already paid for Knox because I, I would have preferred they just keep Ellison. I'd rather have Ellison and the other guy they've got there, Myers. Is it Myers? Jackson Myers? Yeah, M- Myers has played. I mean, Myers is one of those guys who no one really puts a lot of stock in him because he's 6'2", but, but he plays well. With- can't start him when it gets, can't start a six-two guy a shooting guy when it counts. So they needed to upgrade it. Uh, he can be a microwave at that height, but he can't be a starter. Um, look, I, I like the acquisition of Ellison. I just it's unfortunate that it didn't come before Knox and save himself that. But Knox is expiring, so look, there's no long-term harm to the cap. It's just unfortunate damage to their pick collection. Um, I'd be looking for a, a defensive backup point uh, power. Uh, sorry, center, as you said. Um, and hopefully they can get that done at some point because I think that's the one obvious hole on their roster right now. Yeah, and um, I don't know cap-wise, but if they did want to make a move, we had mentioned Isaiah Foreman before, I think he'd be an interesting fit on this kind of roster. He'd be too expensive. They'd need to get someone in that uh, 
you know, in that look like could probably squeeze in someone. Um, uh, look, they could they could definitely squeeze someone on there, but unless they got Knox's contract off the books, they ain't getting someone at Foreman's number on there. I yeah, think five, that, five, five million is a probably a more realistic number. And that's the issue probably with the Knox deal, really. It's, it's opportunity the opportunity cost. cost. Yep. Um, but uh, Predators are in good shape. And I think even with that Knox deal, they might be able to, if they want to bring him back and he works out, and I think he's been playing quite well, probably bring him back for significantly cheaper because I just can't see his market value being that high, especially because this free agency is going to be crazy. Uh, Okay, so the Denver Dragons, who were 24... And just and for the record, Mike, we need to pick up the pace a little bit because I'm thinking that seven teams in like 30 minutes is probably not going to get the time done, keep the timing right. All right, so if you're listening to this podcast at 1.5 speed, it's going to go really, really fast now. Um, all right, so they are 24 and 26. I have them as a buy. They are $5.4 million under the cap. I put that the Dragons need a veteran wing. Um, the one player I suggested they may move is actually Rashid Stone, who is an expiring $15 million deal. I know you're not going to like that, but uh, just yep. the thought I had. Um, Dragons firmly in the playoff picture. They adding a veteran small forward may help with their young wings. Dragons are ahead of schedule. What are your thoughts? Really like this build. Um, Rashid, the idea that you should trade Rashid Stone is a bad thought. You should stop thinking. It's not working. Um a veteran wing would probably not be a terrible addition. Um, backups shooting guard from memory being the thing that could probably use it the most. Um, but no, I think they're ahead of schedule and uh, I don't think there's really any concern here. I would be grabbing a vet if I could find one, but I don't think it's necessary at this stage. I think they're likely going to ride into the playoffs as is. Uh, and uh you know, the biggest thing this season is just going to be getting some playoff XP into their kitties. I think there's a lot of good potential trade matchups between the Dragons and the Jailbirds um, is one of my thoughts. But especially because guess who played on the Jailbirds at one time? Rashid I Stone. That would be Mr. Rashid Stone. I say you're right. saying Stone should be traded for Clarkson, basically. Uh, there's the subtext. Yes. Yeah, that's that makes no sense though because Clarkson's ancient and that contract ain't going to get easier to move. Who gave him that contract, by the way? I wonder. Detroit Mustangs. It might, it might, it might have been. It might have. It might have been the team that got a championship with him. I don't know. Um, maybe it was. Maybe it was worthwhile. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, it was worthwhile. And then you got your value out of him and moved on. Sold yep, him like yep. the cattle he is. All <laughs> right. All players are cattle. <laughs> Detroit or the tiger, if you will. Uh, that was a pretty Sangali attire right there. Ooh, you have a Quan Sangalia. That's a good, uh, that's a good reference if you had him. All right, so Detroit Mustangs, uh, they are a hold. They are uh, 29.1 million, so they are uh, over the 105 million threshold. Um, they need a point guard. The player who I think is expendable or that they'd want to look to move to fill that hole is Nate Duncan. Uh, or I have another question just looking at the stats. Should they trade Marquise Walton and ride Mike Morton at the center position, who has been playing extremely well? Uh, how has uh, Walton been playing based on, like, where's he at? I think if I remember correctly, he's around, like, 15, 16 PER, so he hasn't been playing horrible. 
um, and his win shares are around that same level as well. Morton has just, if you just look at them in a fair comparison, Morton has been better. He's been more productive. He's been more efficient. Maybe some of that is playing against second stringers, but I mean, he's significantly <laughs> cheaper. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's worked they're out. All, they're, well. all, they're, they're all in. There's no point. There's no point decreasing your overall talent at this point in time. Yeah, again, just trying to be creative with teams. I have the Mustangs as a hold. They have the best record in the league of 41 and 10. They just lost their first home game yesterday. Uh, so, uh, or this uh, morning. That, that's the, that, do we think that's the beginning of their inevitable cold streak? Well, or what day uh, they are the inevitable cold streak? It does happen every year. And I, I do think that the East, I do think when at the end of this year, the Eastern Conference records will be even more compacted than they are right now. I think there's going to be like five games difference between the first and eighth seed at the end of it. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't see that. I don't even think Mustangs are actually going to have a massive cold snap like they usually do. But I, I also think that there's no way in hell that they'll hold on at right. so as so, with the lead they have. So I, I promise after this team, we're going to keep it a steady clip, but I think this is a team we need you to You want to dig about. into this one? This is one we need to dig into. So if you're following there's, there's, in alphabetical really, order. There's two teams that we definitely have to dig into, and this is one of the two. So I'll let you have this. So the Houston Lightning, they were 24 and 25 as of day 104. I have them as a sell, obviously. They are presently at 12.7 million over the cap. So they are... Uh, under the $95 million tax threshold. Their needs are a player like Alonzo Weaver, a uh, player to move. I actually put none available because they literally do not have any other players that they can move at this point. Um, so what have they done? Uh, I think this is a good place to start. So they traded the, Alon they traded the Alonzo Weaver to the Kansas City Knights for Brandon Terry, along with the 2030 Jailbirds first-round pick, the 2030 Renegades first-round pick, the 2031 Tritons first-round pick, and the 2032 Drones first-round pick. So I will give my thoughts, but Andrew, the floor is yours. What do you think about this Weaver deal? Um, look, I would have liked to see the... Uh, I would have liked to have seen the Lightning get their hands on... Um, the Knights pick this year. Uh, but failing that, um, I think they probably should have gotten an extra one or two um, firsts uh, that the team, that the Knights were holding on to because, you know, this deal could work out a, an amazing win for the Lightning. It really could. Though those picks all have enough upside potential that this could be a very lucrative haul. The problem is that none of those picks a guaranteed lottery. Yeah. I mean, so I, I will. It's, it's, so it's simply an odds game. It, it's, the, it's the Philadelphia process in action. It is getting as many fucking lottery tickets as you can and hoping they hit. Um, given that they weren't given the one lottery pick they knew was going to pay off, which is the Knights pick, um, I would have wanted probably an extra one of the later ones, even if they're not hugely valuable on paper right now. I believe there's a Fireballs pick that he owns, that Comey owns, and there's another later one as well. I think the Rockets pick or something like that. There's two other picks there that I thought at least one of those should have come back. If um... So, look, I don't think it's a terrible return, and it could easily... It's, it's basically a trade that's impossible to... It's a trade that is going to be impossible to actually properly evaluate until all those picks have conveyed. 
And I, I will say this in defense of Kyle. I think that he, the, he did the best he could based on the leverage he had. Um, yes. He didn't, he, he did not have a ton of leverage because Weaver was an expiring deal uh, and he's going to seek the Supermax. And I know um, that in the JBL channel, uh, you know, and I, not to name names, but Calvin, you know, didn't really like the deal from either side. And, and he does have, he is right in a certain respect. Like it's not, it's not fair value for Weaver, but it's impossible to get fair value for Weaver. Um, you, never even, value for, you never get fair value for any superstar. Exactly. Like, and even when the Warriors traded Weaver at the peak of his powers, um, they got Marcus Price. They, they, they did extremely well getting Marcus Price, Vince Collier, Austin McConnell, and two firsts. Um, and that deal had more certainty because McConnell and uh, Price were very good prospects and had more certainty than these draft picks. I think the biggest mistake Kyle made is that if he had any inkling he was going to make this kind of a deal, he needed to make this decision this past offseason when Weaver was under contract and there was more certainty in the value because he could have done better if he had traded him, let's say, before the draft last year. Um, and, and if you want to go back and try to play, you know, butterfly effect, I, I had suggested this, and I really do wonder if this would have been real. If any other team but the Vultures had won the lottery, would Kyle have basically, you know, metaphorically picked up the phone and said, Weaver for the first overall pick to get Winder? Um, I, I think it would have taken more than the first overall pick. Um, but so it would have just depended on if the team that came got the number one pick, how much did they have extra that they could throw on top? Right. But I, I think that that's where, you know, if you want to go back and play 50, de, 50 decisions, um, that's one that, you know, I mean, there's no way that Phoenix would have dealt that pick, even for Weaver, just because of the sentimental no. value of getting Winder on. The, but also, know, but also, getting window when you're that close to the bottom doesn't help. Right. right. So it's it's not like if you were if if it you know if 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 you were in a Spurs situation where you only have a high pick because David Robinson went out for the season, maybe that works. Or if you have a team like uh, say the Huskies were during their rebuild, where they got Q, but they already had all these amazing players on the roster that just hadn't quite popped yet. The team that comes to mind is the Jacks. Like if the Jacks had won that lottery and the Lightning yeah, pick up the sure. phone and said, Weaver for the first overall pick, what would have happened? Done. done. I would have done that. Exactly. So that's just, that's just bad luck. And that, that's why sometimes you can make good decisions as competitive teams, but whether you actually get all the way, there is a good amount of luck and circumstance that falls into that. Um, should we talk about the Kansas City Knights portion of this, or do we want to save that for when we talk about the Knights? Uh, we can probably uh, talk about that when we talk about the Knights. What I was going to say is, do you like Slay as a member of this team? Given I actually really age, do. Given his age, he might arguably be a little bit too old for whatever this team will build. But I must admit, I agree with your comment that Slay and Allen together is a potentially nice backcourt. Right. And I know Kyle said they're not playing well. They've been stunk together so far. It's like, well, they just started playing together. So you got to give it some time. But on paper, 
I think Allen is the kind of player you need next to Slay. I, I've been one of Slay's biggest boosters. I know people have said, like, there are some people who think it's like an albatross contract. He doesn't have value because he can't shoot. I think the issue with Slay is, and where Houston is properly positioned, is that Slay can be a really good player if you build around him correctly. And how you build around him correctly is you take him and you surround him with shooters in a seven seconds or less offense. Uh, Basically, you want a roll man and three shooters. Yep. And and the Lightning, they don't have any of their first-round picks. They do have these other picks that are of undetermined value, but they got off the Boondoo deal. They're going to have cap room, and they could probably get volume shooters at a reasonably decent price and Slay, uh, seven seconds or less, are going to be a little bit worse on defense. Slay is still a really good defender at the guard position. So if you um, use your assets right, I think you could build a competitive team relatively quickly around Slay, uh, Slay and Allen. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. I don't think that's a bad place to start. All right, so... Now we go to the team that the clock is starting to take on as of 2029, and that is alphabetical order, no coincidence, the Kansas City Knights, who are 15 and 33 as of day 104. Uh, I have them as a hold for obvious reasons. Um, even with the Weaver deal, they are only $350,000 over the cap. Their needs are Jack Dawkins, uh, player to move, who I think will likely be bunny hopped at some point, is Donnell Mullins while he still has value. So, uh, Comey, this is your last year of no expectations starting in 2029, dot, 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 That's what I literally have written. What are your thoughts? Um, well, I think that should, that should this move should rule out Dawkins. Should. What, what does this team need? A power forward. At a you, point don't think Haw- you don't think Hawkins can play power forward? Uh, I don't. I don't want to put Weaver at power forward, and I don't think Dawkins can do it. So my attitude would be: uh, under no circumstances should this team take Jack Dawkins. Will Comey regret this deal if Dawkins is drafted by another team and plays at an all-star level? Uh, not. De- it'll be dependent on his level of success. Not about Dawkins purely. Not about Dawson. Not about Dawkins in isolation. Yeah, fair enough. With this team currently as constructed, can you think? Do you think where do you project them next year? Like, is this is this a home court team? Um, it's hard to gauge because there are a few holes that they probably need to address, um, uh, and they have, I believe, two picks in this first round still, their own and the the Rockets, maybe. Yep. Um. If they if if they're rolling out next season, Fontana, RJJ, Weaver, something, and Dillinger, I'm pretty comfortable in Dillinger and RJJ's ability to be where they need to be starting next year in their fourth season. They're in yep. year three now, right? Yep. Yeah, so that'll be their fourth season. I'm pretty confident they'll be ready to go. Um, especially with the bump that you get from playing with Weaver and the gravity he creates. Um, Fontana is probably not quite where I'd want him to be in terms of making a push, but I think that could be offset by a a respectable backup point guard. Remember, a point guard doesn't have to do that much when Weaver is there. 
um, as I was spectacularly demonstrated by commenting that they could never win a champion. He could never win a championship with that shit of the point guard. Um, and uh, the last one is, you know, if you're going to take any player in the first round of a draft and have them be relatively solid as a, a like a fourth or fifth option contributor, power forward and energy guy at power forward is probably the one you'd want to take. Right. And there are, I think, some players in the market right now, like Kieran Worthington comes to mind that uh, if Kansas City wanted to get them now, could probably get them relatively cheap. Um, so, yeah, there's uh, definitely there's cheap options available now. But even in the draft, if I was going to bring a rookie instead of an established player in, power forward is the position I'd be most comfortable doing it. All right, so let's move on to the Las Vegas Scorpions, who I have as a sell. Um, they have $200,000 over the cap. They need point guard, shooting guard, and small forward. Players disposable or could be dealt is Michel St. Jean, who is not really developed. To me, this is kind of the weirdest roster. It's, it's even a little bit more weirder than the Barons, just because they have a lot of similar frontcourt players. Um, look, I mean... They've got how many players have they got? In, how many picks they got in this draft? Still, they've got two. Uh, yes, I believe. No, they've so. got oh shit, they've got four, four first. Oh, there you go. They're looking to to go big or go home. Okay, so they've got one really strong one and three uh, and three lights, uh, uh, depending on where the blizzards end up. Um, look, who's who is part of this team? Definitely moving forward. Uh, I've got. Uh, three. I've got three now. I've got three names and a fourth. I'd probably want to hang on to. Swain and Johnson come to mind. I don't know who else other than those two. Um, I'd probably want to hold on to Pedroso. Okay, yeah. Um, and the other one is Austin Green. Uh, I mean, Austin Green. I could fine. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying like, oh my god, I must have him at all costs, but <laughs> I think. I think he's a player that could be potentially worthwhile handling around just because he is a really good three-point shooter. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think Pedroso is a 3-and-D wing that fits very well in a post system. I don't think he needs the ball a ton. I, uh, I think he actually does fit well in this team, so you're right about that. I mean, look, they, they really do have, I think, 3, 4, and 5 relatively, relatively well set. It's their, it's their backcourt. Their backcourt, they need to figure that out, what kind of backcourt they need. I know they're trying Matt Mueller right now, and I think Matt Mueller has been doing Matt Mueller things. Um, so Playing, playing I mean, better than he should? Yeah. The short term. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, but I don't know if he's the long-term answer by any means. Uh, I think the, the Scorps are pretty well set up to get whatever point guard they want. Um, you know, this might be a good spot for Justin Noel. I think sure. someone who will help. They, 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 I guess the big concern is you need to make sure you get spacing. Like you don't need a dribble drive player at the no, one. I think, that I, I think if you're going to get, if you're going to get a point guard onto this team at this point, given they're going to be a slow down post team, I think the one, you know, the point guard who is the most dynamic self offense player. And that's probably Noel at this point over Vance and um, Hargrove uh, is probably the right choice. This is to me. If I'm looking at how to a uh, build to emulate, I'm no, looking. At, uh, if I if I was this team, I'd want easily. 
yes, yes. Actually, that that's a good thought too. I mean, when I look at this team, I think of like Orlando Magic circa two thousand and eight, when Dwight Howard was at the peak of his powers, and they just built that team the the four out one in system with, with Turkaloo and all that stuff. That was a great team. Yeah, Pedroso could be your Turkaloo essentially. And just just surround just surround Swain with shooters. I mean, Johnson likes to stretch the floor. Just get shooters at your one and two. Like, don't don't get a, a Rashad Fox player. You know, just surround him with shooters uh, and do a post centric system. And I, I think that could work. So, yep, um, yep. So let's talk about the Louisville Colonels, who were thirty three and sixteen as of day one oh. Uh, you just skip. You just skip the team. Oh, sorry. Fireballs. Well, well, all right. Let's try to do fireballs as quickly as possible. They are hold. They shouldn't do a goddamn thing. They're thirty-five point six million dollars over the cap. They need health. They want to move a player, but don't, Jaron. It's Tyrese Porter. Uh, my one comment for them is, uh, with Lacruz injury, the Bloom lineup still has a better net rating than Lacruz over more minutes. Dot, dot, dot. I, I still love. I still love that. That that fact it keeps me warm. I check it almost every other day. <laughs> Kristen Lacruz. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Move the crews. Come on, get it done. Bye. This is, and I, I think, you know, not to put any pressure on J. Ron, he knows this is his window because the Thunder and the Jacks are coming. So it's got to yep. get it done this year. All right. So next team. Now we'll talk about the Louisville Colonels. And they are a hold. And they are presently at $11.8 million over the cap. So they are under the $95 million thresh, uh, threshold. What they need to do is pick a point guard, any point guard, any one of the three on their roster. Um, they put Derek Malone on the trade block, which I'm not sure why they necessarily would do that, considering they just acquired him and he played well. And he's also been playing exceptionally well. Yeah, so they solved their biggest need. In, in my mind, the only need the Colonels had was backup front court. I think they actually did a really smart move, uh, a win-win deal where they traded uh, the their first-round pick this year to you because that's likely going to be non-lottery the way the Colonels have been playing. I don't know why you put Malone on the block um, because he's been giving exactly what they need. So, um, But I don't think the Colonels really need to do anything. I, I think the only thing is they need to figure out their point guard position, who they actually want to put there and keep him there and just kind of ride with him. Um, but that's about it at this point. Yep. There you go. That's the analysis you pay for. So let's. Uh, we are trying to get. No, 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 I, no, no I, 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 agree with you entirely on that team. Like, I don't understand why you would move, um, why you would move Malone at this point in time. I think that the salaries are not going to bump up that much for the two guys you need to resign in the off season. I think you need to pick a point guard. Uh, and make a decision about that or just play both of them 24 fucking minutes and put Nian on the fucking bench and let them play and develop. Uh, and then this is a team that should get better next year just because they will have more cohesion because they won't have two fresh... Sorry. They basically had three new starters this year. Yeah, and one of them a rookie. So. Yep. And next year, those guys will all be more... Malone will be there for a, for a full training camp in advance. Arguably, you know, that it's, it's a no-brainer that they're going to be better next year than they are this year. So I don't think there's any need to do anything at all. Agreed. So okay, how, we, got, we, got, we, we can do this one fast because I don't want to belabor the point. Yep. Uh, Mexico City Jaguars, they were 12-38 and 38 as of day 104, have them as a hold. 
they are $5.75 million over the cap. What they need is a plan. If there's any uh, player on their roster who um, – any player on their roster, they could move it to Shea Ramolt. Um, I did put that Grunter is the Tiger King of the JBL. Uh, I think that's a good analogy for him. He's actually the Jaguar King. Um, they did make one move already that might be worth some discussion. So um, they made several moves, but since our last podcast, they traded Roy Ellington and Marcus Collins along with the 2029 Lightning first-round pick, which now looks like a potential lottery pick, uh, and the 2029 Lightning second-round pick, and the 2031 Blizzards first-round pick to the Lightning for Odell Bracey. What are your thoughts? Terrible move. No, to be fair, it's not a terrible No, no, it's not a terrible move because of the Lightning pick because... A, I'm not convinced how far the Lightning will be able to fall. And also, was that deal done before Weaver or after? I don't know when it was done. I think it was announced before Weaver. So I think, yes, I think it was before Weaver. Yeah, if it was announced before Weaver, then that pick is not what it was. And there was always going to be the risk that he was going to tear it down if he was doing that. Um, What bothers me about this pick about this trade more than anything I suppose is I the one young player that I liked on this team was Ramelt and you've just stolen his job to give it to Bracey who doesn't beat your timeline what are you talking about mate you got Mark Hunter you got no, um, no, no, Kelly. No, no, we said we're not going to believe the point <laughs> All right. yeah, so, no, I, I just, uh, I just as I said I think you're exactly right you You still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Did you drop your microphone? No, that wasn't me. Someone has jumped on with audio. Jerk. I think that was Luke accidentally. I do have that everyone should be muted upon entry. He broke the code. Uh, anyway, go ahead. Uh, yeah, look, I think that my biggest issue is they. Uh, I just don't see evidence of a cohesive plan at this point. Um, so, yeah, that's really all I've got to say about that. Like, I, I just... I thought they were rebuilding with youth and now I am not so sure what they're doing exactly Um, again, which is kind of not where I would be hoping to be. I think on this roster, there's two players that I probably care about and they are Lazovic, Major Lazer and Ramelt are the only two players I give a shit about on this roster. Uh, You know, the acquisition of Bracey and Akile and Damasca, um, those would be fine moves to me if, sorry, they would be fine moves to me if they were about holding salary and getting paid to take salary uh, in the short term. But when the moves are about seemingly not about that, I, I don't get it because I think this, this is a team that just needed to be shit for a couple of years and then get good. Yep. Well, we will see what happens. Um, although I think we have a pretty good thinking of what will happen but you know we'll see so the miami cyclones we probably don't need to spend a lot of time on this team uh they are 30 and 18 uh they are a hold um they're 29.5 million dollars over the cap so they are um they're likely going to lose their first round pick unless they make some moves to go down they need home court the one player who seems to be somewhat disposable is josh potter uh because they've been getting good minutes out of jermaine wade as their backup guard um, Cyclones have weathered the tough part of the season, and that is surviving Ainsley Tucker and his 25-game suspension. 
no surprise, they've been playing significantly better since he's been back. Um, they're really in good position to push for home court, even though they're right now, I think, in the uh, the sixth or eighth spot. I, I think they're, as of this podcast, in the sixth spot. They're only two games back. Um, I think they have a good chance to bunny hop the Colonels and then um, I, I don't know if they'll be able to get up to the four spot, but I do think by the end of the year, the Cyclones will be the five seed, which is a good place for them. Oh, it's, it's given the, given the start of the season they had to endure. I think that's a really, that's a big win for them. Yep. Gamble's been playing well. Goodwin's been playing great. There's really nothing they need to do. Um, they've gotten good support from their bench. Um, I think they, they're still not playing Alston enough if there was something I'd want them to do, but uh, it's not really been holding them back that much, but that would be there. There's no, there's no hole they need to fill via trade. Yep, uh, yeah. So the, the next team to talk about is the Minneapolis blizzards who are 29 and 21 as of day one Oh four. I have them as a hold. They are presently at $22.5 million over the cap. So they are over the $95 million threshold, but under the $105 million threshold. I wrote in caps, what do they need? They need freedom. And I mean freedom for Donovan Mobley, which they have given him. Uh, they didn't make a significant trade, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, and, but in short, I think they did what they needed to do in moving Slay. They did get a good player in Quan. I think my question for you to provide in your analysis is um, should they sit Omar Grant and play Quan Singalia more? Um, it depends on what their goal is this year. I think did you know this? Did you make that trade because you wanted to start? Did you make the acquisition of Quan because you wanted to start him straight away and theoretically upgrade center now, or did you make that move in advance of next year when you don't have Grant anymore and you you have filled that issue and you've created a new big three essentially? Um, I can understand why for cohesion standpoint, they might prefer to leave it at Grant uh, for the time being because they've already given their cohesion a bit of a kick. Um, but to be honest, they're not going anywhere this year. I'd probably just put Quan in there and start getting the reps into them. Exactly. Like I, I think the Blizzards are in good shape to win the playoffs. I think you should play Sangalia, see what his fit looks like, uh, especially with Mobley having a little bit more space. Um, I don't recall correctly if Sangalia is someone who likes to hang around the basket, create a little bit more space. But the big thing is uh, moving Slay gives him an opportunity to play Ash full time as well and see if that was um, not you see if that was not a fluke and that really does he does fit a lot better next to Mobley um, so you could figure out whether that lineup works I, I think that's what your focus is for the rest of the year to see if that is a three you could build around because if Mobley still continues to struggle or there's still um, some fit issues on this team you're, you're better off knowing that sooner rather than later so you can make even more moves this offseason if not a complete teardown Yep, I would agree with all that. All right, so next team is the Nashville Stars, who are 23 and 25. I have them as a sell. They are presently $5.6 million over the cap. Uh, I put that they need more minutes, meaning just more minutes in general, because uh, my comment is, yeah. this is they have too many good, good players and not enough minutes to give them. Um, one player who I think they should move who was on the block and then taken off the block was Jordan Timberlake. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately, I, I, I think the stars may have had a little too high expectations for themselves based on where they were at with their build. 
Um, I, I don't really know what this team is, and I'm almost wondering if they need to blow it up. That's a bit extreme. Okay. No, look, I think if, if, I was, if I'm looking at this team, I think there is problems because of the way this team has gotten expensive quite quickly. Um, I don't love Berkeley. Um, players I like on this team, I really like the backcourt of the future in Bumba and Kittles. And I like Murphy. Long are, you out, are you out on Colton Gregory? How nasty does it sound if I say I was never in on Colton Gregory despite the one up being the one who put, uh, signed him <laughs> to a twenty million contract? No, look, I, I, I think he has I think he has potential that he will never realize on this build. Yep. I think that's fair. I, I don't think he's the right fit for this system. I'm always wondering if he's a player who should be on the move. But I mean that's what I mean by a blow up. When I say blow up, I, I do I agree with you. I think you keep Doof and Kittles. I think that they have a lot of potential I think, together. I think that I think that Berkeley I think if you can move Berkeley, Timberlake, Worthington, or Gregory, or some combination of those, I'd probably do it. I'd get out, get rid of all four of them. <laughs> if you could get things that fit that core better. Um, okay, but I, I, I think we're in a, I think we're generally in agreement on that. So the New Orleans Hurricanes, they were 10 and 39 as of day 104. I have them as a hold. Um, they are presently $750,000 under the cap. What they need is some stability. If there's a player they should move, I would suggest Ezra Kiris, who is an expiring deal, and I think he is an unrestricted free agent um, as of this offseason. So the Canes have chosen Jay Lawson. Uh, do they have the right players around him to basically maximize his value? Um, that's what we need to see. What are your thoughts about the Hurricanes and what they should do? Um, uh, there is some stuff that has looked pretty good since they've changed their lineups around. There is one thing they're doing that I find quite peculiar, um, which I would like them to stop doing and try it the other way around. Um, one of the, their most common lineup, current lineup, is Asprey, Lawson, Jericho, Bentley, Whiteside. Um, one of those is a power forward and one of those is a small forward. They're not playing... They are playing the opposite position. Um, I know Jericho is technically a swing forward, but he's played power forward pretty much his whole career. I'd actually really like to see that flipped around, um, and I'd like to see what happens if you flip those two around, because I think it would actually be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. And again, we talked about the Hurricanes a lot the last podcast um, with the Woodson deal. And so they basically made their deal – I think they are just better off just kind of holding the fort and trying some things on the players already on their roster. Um, like I said, maybe trade Kyrus to get an asset if you could do that. Um, but failing that, I think that you're fine as is. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I beg your pardon. Sorry, yawn. Uh, clearly you're boring me. Um, no, look, I, I'm just not sure what it is. It seems like at the moment that playing small forwards at power forward or talking about potentially playing small forwards at power forward seems to be like the new Achille at point guard. I don't like it. I don't like it. I would really hope we can. Like it at all? I don't like it, and I hope we can nip it in the butt before it uh, it gets further. We need to have social distancing from this ridiculous concept. Yep. 
All right. So this team, I think, just to give you an idea and how on the fence I am about this team, I originally had them as a sell, and then I changed them to a buy when I looked at their cap situation. I think if there's any team that could basically go nuclear at, by the trade deadline, it is this one. It is the New York Renegades, who are 31-19 and 19 as of uh, day 104. I did put them as a buy primarily because they are only $9 million over the cap, so they do have some space between – they have $6 million up to the $95 million hard trade line to add something to basically try to strengthen their team. Um, if there's a player, if there was a, a big player they wanted to get, um, Donnell Wallace's salary would seem to match most of that, although they'd have to talk to someone about taking on that contract. But the Rens do have a good amount of their picks. I do think that they need some small forward creative scoring. I think with the Rens, my thought is that they are officially on the treadmill I do think that their upside and the best they could probably do this season is to finish with the sixth seed and be an underdog in a 3-6 matchup. And maybe they could win an opening round season, but I think it's pretty clear based on their net rating, they're not built to be a serious contender. With Harrell and Slattery on their uh, Slattery on expiring deal, uh, Harrell signed long-term, but both are basically at the peak of their powers. They've got not a ton of um, flexibility in terms of their future cap room. So is this a team that should basically blow it up, put Harrell on the block, and try again through the draft? Uh, that's not going to happen. Um, I do think there's potential with using the one. They've got two first-round picks, so they can afford to trade one. Actually, they can't trade theirs. They can only trade the Predators one. They're only holding one of theirs. Um, look, uh, if I was them, I would be looking to at basically between now and the off season, I would be looking to move basically as soon as I get my next draft pick uh, on the books, I would be looking to pair a couple of firsts and Wallace and trying to get a better player at that position. Yep. Yeah, it'll be. I think if they, I, I genuinely think if they're not, they're not as far off as they appear. I think they've. They've got a better bench than they've had previously. Then uh, there are some players that I like in that grouping. I think they've found a power forward that can play alongside Slattery well. Um, they just need to get a, a that right combination of offense and defense at at the wing at three, and hope that Fox continues to develop at the two. And, and I, I don't do think have, either of those are outrageous goals. And I do think they have a shot at getting Slattery at a more reasonable deal. This you know, off season, you know, yep. I know I agree entirely. I think that uh, I think you could potentially. Well, they're not going to pay less than what I have in salary cap space, but I could see them getting in closer to twenty four than twenty eight. Right, and, and I think that would be fair. I could Slattery still playing very well. Um, I, I think you could make if you had to pay him the max. I don't think you'd feel bad about it. But I think because there's going to be so many options and not enough cap room in free agency this year that I think that the Rens could get away with paying him between 24, 22, between 22 and 26 million and feel really good about themselves, depending on what the market says. Yep. Uh, all right. So Oakland Tritons, I mean, they're clearly a sell. They, uh, I don't think they intended to be this bad, but they are this bad. Um, they're $4 million over the cap, so they have flexibility. They need lottery luck. They should really look to move Grant Hayes, who I think um, would have a significant amount of value based on how many teams are looking for wings. 
Um, I think that I, I think they thought that they would push for the playoffs, but I mean, in a really bad Western Conference, they've really been part of the problem in the Western Conference. This team is not going anywhere. They have, in, in my mind, based on what I've heard, too high value on their players to really do anything. So the only way this team gets better is if they uh, have some lottery luck. And I think that's it. Uh, I agree. I would, out of the three wings, Hayes would be the only one I don't trade. Right. Then that, that means he may have the most value in my mind. <clears throat> Well, no, it's just more a case of he. If, if your if your argument is this team needs to blow it up and rebuild, and I think you said that without actually saying that, um, Hayes is considerably younger than Francis and Navigado. He fits the timeline for whatever you would draft this year, and to Kembe Dallas, and the other and some of the other younger players on the roster, like the other two don't. All right, so moving on, the Oklahoma City Barons, who are 18-31 and 31 as of day 104. I do have them as a sell, um, a sell within reason. Uh, how are they that far over? What? I said, how are they that far over the cap? <laughs> the, over the cap. Yeah. They're, uh, so they're, they're just under the $95 million tax threshold. They're $14.05 million. They need some more balance. Uh, who they should move or basically kill as Khalil Hooker. Um, they have too many front court players. Khalil Hooker had been really bad. Uh, I, I don't know if he's a good fit on this great and grind system because he, at least, at least based statistically, is not really providing the defensive value. Their best front court has actually been uh, uh, Ray Washington and Xavier Maxwell. Um, and they should really, I think, be playing Washington more minutes at this point. Um, too many front court players, not enough wings. They should look to try to swap out front court players for wings. As we unfortunately learned during uh, a day or two ago, Xavier Maxwell cannot be moved because he is on an MLE. So they're really stuck with trying to move Washington or Hooker. Um, I think they like Jelm Gray too. I think a Gray Washington uh, backcourt looks really nice with Xavier. Um, I, I think Hooker, Hooker should go. Uh, I disagree. Okay. I think the others are role players. I think that the issue is, I don't think the issue here is Hooker. I think it's a terribly constructed roster that doesn't make a lot of sense around Hooker. The efficiency stats would say you're wrong, Ped. <laughs> this season. Yeah. But like, are you suggesting that, are you suggesting that the, the player and roster construction around the player has no impact on their performance? No, I think that's fair. I and I do yeah, think, I think that you're looking at something in a vacuum that doesn't exist. No, look, I think look, we have seen Hooker be a be effectively the best player on a finals team. Like it's he's not a, and we have seen him put up comical stats on a shit team, and now he's on this other relatively bad team, and he's not performing as well. So what, I'm what would go, you? I'm going to go out on a limb and say if he's performed well at a raw statistical level in a shit team and perform very well and efficiently on a finals team, that maybe he is not the problem. So you would, so what would you do? Then you, you'd swap out the other front court players for better wins. Fuck off Washington, fuck off Singletree. Oh yeah, definitely Singletree. I'm, I think we differ on Washington. I, I, he's played well, whenever he's gotten minutes, he's played well. It's, it's, it's a contract issue. If you want to keep Booker, you can't keep both. I think that, well, that's fair. I, I agree with that. Because I, I just don't think you can start Hooker and Washington in a front court together, and I don't want to be paying $30 million to a bench player. 
I agree with that. I, I, I think where we differ is I think Hooker is expendable. You think Washington's expendable. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Agree to disagree. Um, all right. So the next team is the Philadelphia Warriors at 36 and 14. I put they should buy, at least within reason. Um, I put they should buy because I think they have a pretty good shot to make the finals. Um, and they have a pretty obvious need at backup center. They are pretty close to the 95 hard trade la- uh, cap at 14.6 million, but they do have one or two players who I think they could afford to move without significantly hurting their roster depth or their roster construction, specifically Jermaine Curry, who they brought back on a pretty reasonable deal. Um, I think looking at the, at the, how the issues with this team, I mean, Hall has kind of fallen off the cliff a bit. Uh, and Augustine does not play well. So I do think they could look for another front court player to kind of put behind banks. I don't think I wouldn't pay a lot, especially because they really can't where their cap room is, but I think that's one obvious hole they could fix to really kind of solidify their depth. That's fair. All right. Uh, let's talk about the, no, I, I think, oh, go ahead. I, I think, don't know if you have anything. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, I think, I think, I think there are players, there are players who would cost, uh, who would they would be able to fit? Who would make more sense than investing it long term in Hall? If you could swap Hall and his salary or Augustine out and get a better player who would be actually able to potentially be there for a couple of years with the other guys, I think that would make a lot of sense to do that now. And I don't think that would hurt you chemistry or cohesion wise now. But I wouldn't move Curry. Yep. So the Phoenix Vultures, who are 13 and 36 as of day 104, I do have them as a sell. Um, they have $20.9 million under the cap, so they got plenty of cap room, but they do have some additional assets, specifically Kendall Love, who I think they can move to try to get more assets. Um, I think they need a 3 and D wing to put next to uh, Winder who has basically been everything that we thought he would be. He's been leading all rookies in scoring. He's up on the rookie of the year leaderboard. His defense has been shit, no surprise. So I think it's pretty obvious what kind of player they need to put around him long-term. Um, long, they've been trying long-term, long-term Winders defense is going to be fine. It's because he's a rookie guard. Oh yeah, I, I know. But I, I do think his offense will be better than his defense, right? No, I think he'll be a star at both ends. Like I think he, I think he'll be like better than Deontay Houston. Well, I, I think the point about a three and D wing is you want someone who doesn't really need the ball in their hands, but will, yes. equ- but will be efficient on offense and play good defense. The 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 usage aspect of the role I think is more important than the the need for defense, shall we say? Fair enough. Um. So uh, Brandon loves. Uh, yeah, Brandon love. Uh, Kendall loves a good uh, good player. They've tried playing him small forward. I don't think that really works. Love has Love does not have the size. He's a little bit duplicative of Winder, so I do think he's a player that could be on the move. Um, I do. The Vultures did make one trade that we could talk about, in that they traded the 2029 Rockets first round pick, which is likely going to be, if not lottery, then uh, a very high non-lottery pick, uh, based on the Western Conference, to the Knights for the 2032 Fireballs first round pick and the 2032 Knights first round pick. What are your thoughts on that deal and what the vultures are doing in general? Sick is playing the long game. Really the long game. Those picks are like four years out. He's in no rush. Yeah. I mean, I do think that, that the, the fireballs, I mean, you never know, you can't predict the future and who knows what the Knights will do. I mean, we've seen that the, the effect Weaver has on people. So maybe that Knights pick will have more value. (laughs) But, 
<laughs> he makes them insane. It's the monkey's paw. Weaver is the monkey's paw. I'm telling you. Um, you know, I, I, I would expect that Fireball's pick will likely not hold uh, lottery value, although you never you never know with J-Ron. I mean, that, that's, I think that's actually, that is a good bet on six point that you're gambling on Weaver not working out, which if it happens, then you're looking at 2031 as a jump off point anyway. And he's also counting on J-Ron just trading shit to trade shit once he gets past Look, this. The, the, the Rockets pick will be a low lottery pick this year, realistically. Yep. Uh, the Rockets pick will be a low lottery pick this year. And he has traded that in for upside in the future or two swings at upside in the future. Right. And those picks and are far and, he, and he also knows that that will stop him from adding a potentially good player this year, which will help his own pick next year. As I said, he's, he's playing the long game. He'll be predatory where he can be, but he's not in any rush. And again, it's all about knowing your window. And right now, you would expect that the Thunder and the Jacks have a good window. So I think the Volts are targeting for when they kind of take a step back to kind of be that next grouping in that 2032 to 2034 range. So yeah. the Thunder have got a, the Thunder have got a, despite the fact that the Thunder have been ascendant and they're looking very good, this is actually going to be a relatively tight window for them because they've only got until FIFA declines. Because after that, they will find it very hard to add another player of that quality. Right. And they'll be dependent on Butler and Walcott basically becoming, uh, you know, Houston and Q, essentially. Yep, pretty much. All right. So the Pittsburgh Vipers, they are 31 and 18. I have them as a hold. They are 11.5 million over the cap. They need, in my mind, spot up shooting. Yes, I know they need a point guard and power forward as well. Um, there's really no players on the roster I think I would deal away at this point. Um, nevertheless, the uh, Vipers have made a move uh, that they uh, traded Aaron Taphorn and Medi Brown to the Lightning for Trayvon Miller, who's been playing exceptionally well since he was back, since he's been reunited with his father. Um, Vipers are playing well at expectations, but I think long term they do have to ask themselves if they need a stretch four to play next to Lane to really kind of help him take the leap and become a competent shooter. Uh, you need to upgrade the shooting at one of two positions. Power forward is one of those two options. Fair enough. And I, I completely agree. And we can move on unless you have anything else to add or chide okay. me on. No, I, 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 just, I don't think it needs to be power forward. It just needs to be one of those two spots is where you're going to have to do it. Yep. All right. So the next team is the Portland Lumberjacks, who I have as a hold as well. They are $27.6 million over the cap. So they are, um, they are over the 105 tax threshold, if I'm counting this correctly. Uh, they do need some cap relief, and I do think they are trying to move some players to preserve their first-round pick for the future. If there is a player who I think they could live without, it's Demetrius Stith. Um, he's been basically as a reserve wing, he's been a pretty bad shooter as compared to Marquis Sasser and some other wings that they have. They're basically at this point, they're looking to save future picks. They're quite deep at all positions. They're in really good shape to, um, get home court this year. Uh, I don't think there's anything they need to do really other than, you know, reduce their cap a little bit. Yeah. I, I think that. As much as he likes having that extreme depth, there are a few players on this roster that uh, I would happily uh, get the fuck off my roster if it meant saving my first-round pick. And Stith is the very obvious one of those players. I'm assuming that is not an MLE. 
I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that as well. Um, but yeah, I think they, uh, I think they're, they just need to cut a little, shave a little bit off their cap and they're in pretty good shape. Um, let's talk about the Seattle thunder who are 35 and 14 as of day one Oh four. I do have them as a buy, uh, for the reasons that you had just suggested that their window basically is pretty shortened. Um, they do have some cap room. They're $300,000 under the cap. I think that if there was any position they could look to upgrade its power forward. Any position they may want to, or player they may want to trade, it's actually Zach Lynch, um, who I know that uh, Luke has had around for a long time. He's been on those championship-winning teams. Um, but I do think if anywhere back a point guard is somewhere where you could possibly save a little bit of cap room. I put um, neither Sullivan or Isabel have played great, but who cares? Uh, the Thunder have uh, basically exceeded expectations up to this point. They're in good shape for home court. Um, if they did want to make a run, they may want to add something at the deadline, but that's I wouldn't go crazy. Um, and from memory, the last time I looked for lineup court, whilst those players don't look impressive necessarily at their um, at their individual level, both Sullivan and Lawson have are parts of very very nice lineups, so there's not an issue at that level. You can't have. It's really hard to have five all stars, you know, or five players with high PER on the roster at the same time. Yes. You know, I, I they mean, there's going to be up, they, they can't all put up stats. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be players who are going to take the hit, um, and the power forward position based on the, you know, I, I, I like Roland's been playing really well. Walcott's been emerging. I mean, they have. I don't want to say they have four all stars, but they have. Two really good young talents. They have one certain all-star in Pfeiffer, and uh, Roland's been really good. So oh, I, think, I think they're in it. You'll find out soon, but I think they're a three all-star team, and I think what there's a player who will probably join them to be a potential fourth as of next year. Yep. I, I, so, look, I they're think... close to that point. Yeah. I, I, uh, so power forward is going to take the hit. So two more teams left to go, and I think we can cover them relatively quickly. St. Louis Skyhawks, I have them as a sell. Uh, they are $24.7 million, so they are just under the $105 million tax threshold. They need wings. I think the Omari Kamga experiment has not worked, and they may want to look to move him. Uh, so I just wanted to check in and see how they've looked since they acquired Darius Berry for um, – or for uh, – uh, I forget the name of the wing um, – who's equally bad. Uh, Berkeley. But Berkeley. But – as you might suspect, Barry has been Barry. He's been putting up great production stats, but his efficiency has been bad and his plus minus has been bad. So that was a real treadmill move. I think this is a treadmill team. They may need to just blow it up around Johnson and try again. Yep. Yeah, I, look, I I wouldn't necessarily... Johnson and Kanger... I, I like the bookends of Johnson and Kanger together but I think it would be hard to blow anything up or do a retool keeping Kanga around as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the problem is they took on Woodley and Woodley yeah. has just been not a good fit on they've this roster. Two max, they've basically got two max contracts on the books that they don't need or want. Yep. 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 And that that's going to pose a problem. And that's why they're hanging around 20 and 29, despite Johnson still playing well, at least based on perception. So the last team to talk about is the Toronto Huskies, who are 34 and 16. They are a hold. Um, they may want to shave a little bit off their cap as they are over the $105 million tax threshold, $1.15 million. 
Um, they need home court. There's really no players that want to move off their roster. I think they're still the favorite in my mind to win the whole thing just based on how they've looked and they haven't really put the pedal to the metal with their starting lineup. Um, I don't think they really need to do anything but maybe shave a little bit off their cap. Yep. Uh, they should try and get underneath because it wouldn't be that hard for them to get underneath, but that's the only thing they need to worry about. All right. So, I mean, some lessons from this exercise is that I think there are a lot of teams in the hold category, which is not surprising because there's been a lot of moves already. Um, I think the contenders don't have a lot of space to really add anything of note. Uh, nor should they add anything because their teams are pretty well constructed as is. There's not a ton of real blow it up or treadmill teams uh, really that I could see making anything significant. The Rens, you can make an argument, but like you said, and I agree with you, I don't agree. I, I don't necessarily see them making a move or making a drastic move. So it'll probably be a pretty quiet deadline, which means, you know, everyone will be traded again. Uh, by the well, next I was about to say, now that you've said that, shit's going to get wild. <laughs> <laughs> So let's move on and close out the podcast with your revealing your all-star ballot. And we could kind of have a discussion about those. Yeah. Give me one second. I just want to do one thing quickly, which is just get something open. Um, okay. I'm good. Cool. Okay. Go for That's it. Right. Okay. So uh, in the Eastern conference, the starters were Jason Chaney, Deontay Houston at the guard spots, and the three full front court players were uh, the Messiah, uh, Q, and Kelvin Hawes. Um, in the reserve backcourt, uh, I have gone. I've taken three backcourt players, so one is my wild. One is one of my wild cards. Uh, I have gone with Josh Gamble. Uh, okay. I have gone with Devon Harrell, who I think is a no-brainer. Yep. Uh, and the third and final backcourt player I've taken is I have gone with Reggie Goodwin. Yep. Uh, that one ultimately came down to um, probably three players that were in like final consideration for me. Uh, and basically uh, the final consideration came down to um, Joanne Hughes, uh, Greeley, and Goodwin. Basically, um, most of the advanced stats lean towards Goodwin over Hughes, and Goodwin is on a much better team. Um, so that was kind of the argument to knock Hughes out, is just ultimately Hughes was sitting outside the playoffs, uh, and the advanced stats aren't quite as attractive as his counting stats are, although I think he has had a better balance of the two this year. Uh, and the other one was Greeley. Um, I think this is the last year Goodwin is going to hold Greeley off. I think Greeley will bunny hop him next year, but uh, I think that Goodwin has been the better player of the two this year, just. I think that's fair, and I think I know your your reasoning for this, but did you give any thought to Dominic Har Harmon? Uh, I, I couldn't. Uh, I, it, that team is just too bad. Yeah. I, I mean, in my mind, the for the Eastern Conference, the only real debate, I mean, I agree with you. Gamble and Harrell, no-brainers. I, I think they get the two, the two uh, minimum backcourt spots. And then from there, if you wanted to add another backcourt player, although I suspect a lot of teams may hold their wild card spots for frontcourt players because frontcourt is a lot more of a logjam. 
But I really think beyond Hughes, Gamble, Harmon, Harold, Goodwin, and Greeley, it's really hard to put anyone else but there, but those six in one of the backcourt or wildcard spots. I agree with you on Harmon. The Devils have just been really bad, although Harmon individually has played really good. You'd think, I wonder how bad they would be if Harmon wasn't on the roster. Um, I think Hughes has just missed too much time. Uh, and that was, think- that, was a, that was a factor as well. I didn't think it was disqualifying in of itself. Uh, but, yeah, that was, I mean, that was something I factored in slightly as well. Yeah, I mean, he's played just under 75% of the same games that others have played. And if, if the Crusaders, let's say, if, if the Crusaders were so much improved, um, and they have been, but if they, let's say, went like on an insane 12-game winning streak, with Hughes going nuts, I think that would be enough to put them in, put him in. And then I think you're left between Goodwin and Greeley. And I, I, I generally agree with your position. I think Goodwin, especially considering that that Cyclones team, Goodwin, uh, really Gamble and Goodwin kept that team afloat and just outside of the playoff picture while Tucker was out. Um, you know, and, and I'll say this, not to hurt my own player's candidacy, when Lane was out and Greeley was the lead guy with Haslam, the Vipers went three and seven during that time frame. So, and I think it's also, and I think when we get to talking about another player, when we get to the front court, I want you to hold that argument in mind. The uh, how they perform when someone is injured matters to me. Yeah, um, that's what the sign of the star is. Uh, someone who can carry a team a bit, and uh, whether you can do that when you beat it, yeah, when your co-star is out uh, matters. Uh, so yeah, and. and- yeah, and that's why I'd, I that's why I'd go with Gamble over Greeley for that reason because Greeley had the chance to really take the conch with Lane out, and he was the offensive focus, and it didn't play out too well. So, okay, now onto the front court. Ooh, this is um, a fucking bloodbath. <laughs> uh, I I didn't find it that hard. Okay. Um, Drayton Banks is the one lock. Uh, I think that's the one that you cannot absolutely you cannot make a case against. Yep. Um, and I eliminated Willis and Clarkson because they are on the jailbirds. <laughs> they're not good because they are not good, not just because they are on the jailbirds. Um. Uh, so that's they're out of the running. Um, I looked closely at Honeycutt who I think has been better this year, but didn't quite get to where I wanted him to be. It would have taken him to be just a little bit better for a week for me to try and squeeze him in. Um, and that left me at small forward looking at, I know that the positions are forward front court generally, but I break them up into positions first. when I do with my, my routine, uh, that left me with West and Lane at small forward. It left me with Jamarcus Thibuel, at power forward, and it left me with Latrell Mason and Slattery at center. Uh, and one second, yes, wife. I have to open a bottle of wine. Apparently, give me a sec. Look, this bit is normal. Yeah, this bit's too hot. Yeah, okay. Give me a second. This this is some live action radio right here. So yeah, you, get, it, you built, built up the suspense and then you leave. It was, it was, I managed to successfully open the bottle of wine that my wife could not open. This is where you say, good job, husband. Good job, husband. Yeah, cool. See? Happy wife, happy life. So obedient. <laughs> it's the first time ever. She's just putting on graces. Um, 
Okay. Uh, so that was my wife. Um, okay. Now I'm um, back to where we were. So yes. Um, so I also try when I do the all-star ballot, try and give representation to the stronger teams in the conference. I think that more than just outright hatred for non-playoff teams tends to weigh on my decision-making quite heavily. Um, so I didn't think the th- I didn't think that the, I didn't think the Colonels were deserving of two All-Stars. Uh, they're not that good as per their net rating and other factors. I know they're standing higher in the standings than we thought they might be, but they're not that good. Um, that's not a slur. They're just not as good as they currently appear. Um, so it came down to Thibault or Mason for me. And I think Mason actually has the lesser case. I think Thibault is the better player, better, a more important player to that team. Uh, and I think that you've seen them hold up reasonably well with Mason out, with Malone taking his spot. Uh, and I think the advanced stats all favour Thibault. And a pretty hard, fast rule that I followed this year is that if you have a negative BPM, you ain't going to make it. And Mason's BPM is negative. So, so that's, who, one, that's so, one front. Yep. So go through your Eastern Conference ballot all, all in total then. I've got two, you don't want me to do the last two reveals? Oh, you can do the last two reveals. I think I know where you're leaning, which, may, which puts a smile on my face. But go ahead. Okay. Uh, I thought the Renegades uh, versus the other front court players, I thought Slattery was deserving. I think his advanced stats were quite convincing. Uh, and the last spot came down to uh, Mr. Zavian West or Tristan Lane. And I went with Tristan Lane. Mm. So uh, ultimately, uh, what that comes down to is that the Vipers went downhill pretty badly when Lane was out, briefly. Uh, and West, as we talked about with Goodwin versus Greeley earlier, West did not get it done when Hughes was not there. Yep. And I think yeah. that, and I, and I think that Lane is just more valuable to your team overall than West is to the Crusaders. So my final bench was Harrell and Goodwin at the guard spots. Uh, Banks, Lane and Thibula as the forwards and the wild cards were Gamble and Slattery. Yeah, I mean, I have not done my ballot yet, and I obviously cannot vote for Lane because you cannot vote for your own players, but uh, I think this is still a pretty Do valuable... The right thing, Do the right thing, substitution. <laughs> Do the right thing, Mark. Oh, no. Well, look, look, look. I, I think it's a very valuable exercise to do this because I do think, and I don't know if anyone will, I think ballots are due this evening, so I'm not sure who will listen to the podcast between now and when they submit their ballots, but I do think a lot of people just go sort by PER and then go it by PER. And I, I think what you did is a more nuanced, um, a more nuanced exp- you know, exploration of value to the team, which I think is... Uh, and I'm sucking up to you, but I, I mean, which I, I think is what you really need to do. What do you want, Mike? What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and I think all those points are, are, are salient. You know, I, 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 I mean, I don't, there's, there's really nothing I disagree with you on there. Cause even like the Thibiel Mason, cause I thought to myself, you know, like I, on first glance, it'd be like, I'd put Mason over Thibiel, but that's more of a preference towards counting stats, which favor offense. And I think Thibiel, if you took Thibiel off that Colonel's roster, 
they would fall significantly faster than Mason. I, I think that if you swapped Malone for Mason, I, I, there would probably be some drop-off, but not that significant. But you take Thibuel off, and I think that the Colonel's potentially crater. And, and I think that matters. And I think that matters when you look at the Crusaders players with Hughes and West in that there was an opportunity for West to take the conch and really push that team, and, and he struggled. And now he's playing a lot better as a little bit of a second banana. It's the same thing why I wouldn't put Greeley in as an all-star is that Greeley had a, a chance to take the conch with Lane was out and the Viper struggled and he struggled. There are just some players, there, there are players who are, are, are trailers and tractors, you know, and I think that all-star teams should reward the tractors and not the trailers. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think your, your, your thoughts are sound. Uh, and I mean, we generally see eye to eye on all-star selections. I don't think this year's any different. I don't think there's anyone outside that you really talked about. I mean, there is Marcus Price there, who I know you don't want to talk about your own player. Marcus Price uh, has actually been very good in terms of all efficiency stats. I think Price is a very good candidate for a spot, uh, and I think the advanced stats support that. However, I would not begrudge anyone who refused to vote for him on the grounds that he's on a shit team. Yeah, 19 and 33. And um, I think to go to Haslam, Haslam is clearly the third banana on that Vipers team. And after that hot start, he's really fallen back to his, his averages. He did not have the breakout start that I thought was sustainable. So you were right on that. Um, I really think to me, once you disqualify... Clarkson and Willis, because uh, Cheney is really the engine that is there. I think you really are left with front court with uh, uh, make Banks, Mason, Slattery, Lane, West, and Thibuel. And Honeycutt has an argument for the reasons you laid out, but it probably, for similar reasons, that's really Josiah's team. And I don't think Honey has done enough to really fall in line with those those players to be consideration for the spots. So it is hard because I think there's going to be one or two players who will be left out of the front court discussion who are certainly deserving, um, but it, it's close. It's probably the hardest argument, I would think, of this all-star you know, selection process. The, uh, the West, however, uh, took a little less time because it real bad. Um, <laughs> so uh, there's one pick in here that is contentious, uh, but... I, I made it for a particular reason. And um, so, yeah, we'll get to that. Um, so, LaCruz, Pfeiffer, Griffin, McSwine, and Walcott were the starters in the Western Conference. Uh, I thought that the, uh, the guards, I have done what I did in the East. I have taken three guards, with one of them being my wild card. Um, these are the only guards that I actually had under serious consideration. Evans, Adams... Johnson, and then at shooting guard, Mobley and Peeler. Okay. God, they're, they're, what was that? Uh, I said, God, the West is a mess. So uh, they, were the only, they were the only ones that I, I actually even bothered to look at in depth. I mean, um, Jordan Mack has the efficiency stats, but not yeah, the actual he's, counting he's, he's playing in a very controlled role that's not worthy of an all-star. I can see. I saw the numbers. I saw the advanced stats that justified the case, but he is in a very controlled little box, doing the right thing in that little box, and he is contributing to winning. But he is hardly a star by any measure at this point. Yeah. Um, so you 
did did you say who you actually picked for your spots or you're just no, going over no. the candidates that okay. was the five candidates for the three spots because i usually take a, a one wild card from the guards as well and you um, said fisher, you said fisher right is fisher in that group Fisher is the one guy I feel bad about. I, I did actually come back around later and look at Fisher more closely. Um, Fisher doesn't get it done at a PER level uh, or at a counting stat level. Uh, but when you look at win shares, uh, he starts to look a lot more attractive. I think win share and BPM were the two things that made him look quite good. Um, but the, the Predators are a hard one, and I'll come to that in a second. Um, I ultimately went with Jamal Adams uh, and Jamal Johnson and okay. Antoine and Antoine Peeler as the three guards. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I disagree with that. I mean, I was looking at Adams, and we've talked about the Dragons. They've played above expectations. Um, I think he's played really well. He's probably at this point... He's driving driving that team at this point. If you have to say one person is driving that team, it is him more than anyone else. Exactly. So I think that that's what would put him uh, in my mind. I I think Peeler's a no-brainer. And then it comes down to that third spot. And I know we struggle with... Johnson is dragging. No, but that that team is still in the playoff bracket, and he is single handedly dragging that ill formed monstrosity of a roster into the playoffs. I'll give him that. Yeah, and I think he is right now. What he's he's leading the Western Conference in assist, or not leading, but he's he's averaging nine point three assists per game. So he's doing. And if I remember correctly, uh, I think Johnson is pretty high on the box creation stat, which um, the All Star ballot doesn't have on there, but. But uh, is sh- uh, what? But is important. Exactly, and so and box creation as a reminder. Those are basically uh, that that is measures the actual um, ability of a player to generate. I'm going to get the stat wrong, but the, the the point of the stat is that it's supposed to differentiate your players like Rajon Rondo who get high assists, but they're like cheap assists, and that that assists are generated by the overall value of the player that the ball is getting passed to basically effectuating on the play uh, and completing the play. Whereas box creation is supposed to measure and give value to those who are actually by their sheer talent, creating the actual opportunity. Um, And Evans usually ranks pretty high on that. I think Johnson is high on that. So uh, I, I kind of agree to me. It's between Johnson and Evans. And I think you're really splitting hairs there between the two. I can't, I can't justify giving it to Evans while his turnovers are at 4.8. Can't do it. Well, and that's where you find the difference, right? Is that I think in some ways Evans is holding the rockets back, whereas Johnson is pushing them forward. You just look at BPM and wind shares and it's pretty that's, obvious. That's what I mean. The negative BPM for Evans was what killed him immediately, but also <laughs> the turnover. It's the turnovers relative to the assists. I think he's got like, what, 6.6 assists and 4.8 it's, turnovers? It's, it's, it's really funny because if you sort by PER, it puts Johnson and Evans right next to each other. Evans' turnovers per game is 4.77. Johnson's 1.74. And um, how turnovers difference. Yeah, but and, it, the assists are 6.6 for Evans, 9.3 for Johnson. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that 6.6 over 4.8 doesn't lead to a healthy assist to turnover ratio. <laughs> <laughs> 
He passes the ball. Could be a turnover. Like fucking, could be an assist. Who knows? Flip a coin. <laughs> like Dare has a fucking better assist to turnover ratio than that. Like fucking Stonehead Senders. Like I, me I, I mean, I mean that the, the the Rockets got. I, I don't know if there's anything they could do with their tendencies, but they got to tone that shit down. I mean, that's that's pretty fucking ridiculous. You know, yeah, if, just, if you're pushing five it. turnovers just per game, it. just fucking call it. <laughs> Okay, so right. that's that's the backcourt. Yeah, um, I, I don't I don't really fight your backcourt that much. Um, Fisher is the one person who, in hindsight, is a little bit hard done by. Um, there was only one small forward I considered. That was <laughs> that was Aaron Rollins, so he went straight in. Yep. Uh, and then we got to the front court, and uh, I ended up with a list of eight players across power forward and center. Um, I immediately disallowed Kamga because he is on the Skyhawks and they have one all-star too many based on their record. Um, Rashid Stone got knocked off because Adams is a sufficient representative for the Dragons and a, a bigger key driver of their success. Um, I docked Harrison because there is another front court player on the fireballs I like more. Uh, who was available to be voted at this stage. Uh, and I knocked off Dorian Sylvester uh, because he has not been as good this year. Actually, Austin Bryan has been better from pretty much every advanced measure. And I didn't think the Lumberjacks would at three all-star level. So that left me with a list of DeAndre Stackhouse, Zion Jeffries, Kenyon Fuller, and Donovan Galloway. I think Galloway was a no-brainer. I think Fuller was a no-brainer. Yep. And that left a representative from the Predators. And the one contentious pick, I think, truly contentious pick on my ballot is I have gone with Jeffries. Ooh. That is that uh, that is a uh, that's a nice way to bury the lead. I I, th- I don't think that's how it'll play out. I do think Stackhouse will get in, but go ahead and explain your argument. Okay, let me just bring up Stackhouse's page. Uh, there's a few reasons why I have done this. So, if we look at our advanced statistics uh, for DeAndre Stackhouse this season, 18.3 PER, it's the worst in four years. Last four years, he's beaten that. Estimated wins added, nothing special. Uh, Only 2.6, not on track to beat anywhere near the last couple of seasons. Uh, his win shares are at three and a half. Last year, he got to seven and a half. He will not make that this year. His win shares per 48 are down at 103. Last year was 139, 137, 171, 19. Basically, he's, it's his worst win shares per 48 in any season of his career. His BPM is negative 3.1, and his warp is negative. Couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, it's and, a good argument. And Jeffries was putting up crazy efficiency stats when he was at the Rockets and has basically maintained a very high level of efficiency after he has moved on to the, um, on to the Predators. Uh, the Predators have had, a, I think, what, 16 and 10 record or something like that since Jeffries has got 16 and 11, I think it is, or 17 and 10. Yeah, so, I, I, I had it as 14 and 9 before the last sim. So I, I don't know how the Predators did. I didn't I add that. It, I, think it is, I think it is 16 and 11, um, which is not bad given that you've just traded a major starter out. 
uh, and made a bunch of trades during that period of time. I think they've made three separate trades during that window of time. Yep. Um, he has a PR of 19.8. It was 19, 18.9 when he was at the Rockets. He's already at combined 4.2 win shares, uh, 2.2 at the Rockets. He's already on two at the Predators. Um, he has a comical true shooting percentage. His BPM is 3.7 and his VORP is 1.3. Uh, he is, apart from Fisher, the most productive player on that team right now. God, the Predators are really interesting. That they I mean, are, you would, they, they are an odd duck. Yeah. Um, I mean, you went through all the stats right there. It's a pretty compelling argument. I, I still think my perception is I would lean towards Stack, but... Yep. Oh, no, look, I, 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 don't get me wrong. I expect Stack will be the representative all-star for this team. I just felt like, having looked at it, and I've also looked at Acosta as well, and he's sub-1, he's sub-0.1 win share per 48 as well. He's got a positive VORP and uh, BPM, but they're not as good as Jeffries. Right now, if you take Fisher out of the equation and just look at the qualified, the players who qualify for a front court spot, which is Acosta, Jeffries, and Stackhouse, the most deserving statistically, and I really feel like I've been possessed by the other Andrew right now, uh, it is it is Jeffries. Yeah, he's taken over. Um I again, I think it's a good argument. I think my only counterpoint would be, and we don't know this, is just supposition that it goes back to the arguments we had about um, Greeley, West, Lane, and Hughes. Is that if you took Stackhouse off, off this team, I wonder if you would see Jeffrey's efficiency decline as well as the decline of others. That maybe it's one of those where Stackhouse is just such but then again the, the BPM would be different right if that were the case exactly that's the thing like, I, I think this yeah. is another team that if you took Stackhouse off the team and dumped Malone there I wonder if it's much worse it's it's a good look it's a reasonable argument I mean I, I advocated earlier in this podcast for you know taking Hooker and shooting him off into the sun Hooker's BPM is negative 3.4 Stackhouse is negative 3.1 so I mean, if yes. I'm being, if I'm being, if I'm not being, if you're being consistent, if you're being consistent. I expect to see your ballot not have stackers. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's a fair point, and, and I, in in full transparency, the, the ballot was released while I was in, in my six hours of sleeping, so I haven't had a chance to really sit down and look at it. And I, but I tend to do a similar analysis to you. I reward players on winning teams. I look very closely at efficiency stats because I try to avoid. The uh, I try to avoid just sorting by PER and going from there. I really try to get into the teams, and I'm a big believer in rewarding uh, efficient players on good teams, rewarding the players who are the reason that good teams are good. Um, yeah. So my yeah. ballots tend my that, ballots that, tend that, to you know go ahead. No, that, that peck, no, that what you're saying. The pecking order part isn't. I think the for me it's the the quality of the team matters. Um, the relevance and vi- you know how vital they are to that team. You know their 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 place in the pecking order matters. Um, you know a team has to be really fucking good to deserve three all stars. It just does. Or be or be the thunder this year and be in a fucking terrible conference. Um, and <laughs> and then after that, you're playing a game where you're trying to balance advanced stats and production. And you obviously aren't going to put a hyper-efficient fucking, you know, energy fucking power forward on an all-star team. It just makes no fucking sense to do that. Um, honestly, the BPM 
I've, I've, I basically won't treat BPM as a distinguisher unless it's negative. Yep. For instance, right? Like if you're putting yep. up 25 and 10, if you're Latrell Mason, right? And your P and your BPM is plus 0.1. That's cool. The problem is if it's point, if it's negative, I'm docking you immediately. Yep. Uh, and, and I think that that's reasonable. I think it's why it's one of the reasons why that stat is valuable and why it's a good thing to look at that stat. It does uh, keep in mind that your PER, PER and EWA measure offensive production. They don't really capture defensive production, whereas your win shares and BPM are better indicators as well as your overall net efficiency are better indicators of the, the both way value of the court. So, and even to stump for lane one more time, that's really that you want to look why he has a high BPM. You, you just look at his defensive win shares because offensively he's still shit. He's a little he's bit better. <laughs> he's a little bit better than he was last year, but he's still bad. But defensively he's, he's an impact player. Yes. Shit is, shit is a bit rough, uh, but he's clearly better than he was last year. But his secondary play, his, his secondary playmaking um, from a position other than point guard and his defense uh, override that lack of efficiency shooting the ball. Uh, but also, he is the most vital player on your team. He is the he is the engine. Everything else is just accoutrements. So okay. uh, we, we better stop before I get too aroused. So I think that's a, that's a good place to end it. Right on the lane love fest. <laughs> I feel I feel like this has been a trap. I've just fallen into a horrible trap. Um, okay, um, so I believe that's everything. Uh, so I presume that we will be back sometime next week. Um, are you good to do Friday next week instead of Thursday again? Sure, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Still uh, being I, under isolation. I seem to have developed. A, I'll. I, will, I think we'll almost certainly be under isolation officially by this point. Uh, that uh, next week. But um, I have an understanding commitment on Thursdays at the moment. Um, and I suspect we will probably spend some time uh, starting to look at, it won't quite be playoff preview time, but it will certainly be uh, starting to look at some of the teams that have been eliminated, I think might even be on the record. On the yeah, that, 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 that's where my head was. Because assuming we do the All-Star game uh, probably in about 24 hours and resume again shortly thereafter, I, I think with a double simmer to thrown in there, we're probably looking at, you know, only for most teams, like 10 to 12 games left by the time we pot again. So yeah, that'll think, be, a, I think, I think yeah. it's going to be looking at any trades that happen at the deadline, reviewing those, and then basically doing some team reviews uh, like we did last year of uh, teams that are mathematically eliminated and start knocking those fuckers off. Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. All right. Okay, well, I'm glad we involved you all in our planning stage. This is awesome radio. Uh, have a lovely evening, and thank you for listening, as always. And sorry if I hurt your feelings, Calvin. I'm not sorry. All right, bye. <laughs>